morning, Colossians chapter number two, where we have been looking at the Satan's strategies and how he attacks and different things and different methods. And Paul tells us that we are not to be ignorant of his devices and how he works. And in doing that, uh, a lot of times questions come up about, okay, well, what is, how is that how to work in real time? And in the book of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, and this is where we're going to spend the next several weeks, is really the Satan's strategies in real time. As Paul, dealing with the, the church at Colossae, therefore it's in Scripture, I've, I was talking to some folks, if you go over to chapter 1, verse number 2, where Paul writes, To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colossae, Take Colossae out and put Southwest Bible Fellowship in, because he's writing to you and I. And as you do that, and as you think about that, last time we started in chapter 2, we got through the first three verses, so we'll just read those, and then we'll get into verse 4 and following as we go here, because again, the strategies, and that's really what I want you to catch. Uh, there's going to be some doctrinal things that we're not able to look at at this time, uh, we'll probably mention them and move on and because I'm, I'm after you understanding how the adversary is working on you in real time. And again, you have to remember, the adversary is a created being. He's a cherub. So he's not everywhere. He's not God who's all-knowing and everywhere. And, and you know, the, the old thing, he is everywhere. It's not that at all. He actually has minions and he uses men and he uses religious systems Paul calls it in Ephesians 2, the course of the world. And he's set it up. It's running. He's got a plan. He's got strategies. He's got an attack method where he attacks the message first. If he can get you to not rightly divide your Bible, if he can get you to not understand the truth, sound doctrine. Not Bible doctrine, but sound doctrine. That word sound in Acts is defined as life-giving. Life-giving doctrine. And if he can get you not to follow sound doctrine, but follow Bible doctrine. You understand what Bible doctrine is. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is Bible doctrine. It's in the Bible. It's doctrine. It's, it's God's word. It's just not to you and I. It will, it will not cause you to have soundness in your life. Noah is wonderful Bible doctrine, okay? But it doesn't cause... How many of you are building a boat, an ark right now? Not today. It's going to be beautiful today. Maybe Wednesday or Thursday when it rains, right? No, what, when, when it rains, what are you at? You're down at Walmart buying a canoe, aren't you? So you're not out building. It's wonderful Bible doctrine and tremendous things there in the establishment of human society and so forth. But it's not sound doctrine. Soundness. Pure form of the, the, the... So that's what we're after. If the adversary can get you not to be in the soundness and can get you to be in, be scriptural but not dispensational, then he's one. But if he can't, then he's going to come after the messenger. Then he's going to move over and attack the preacher. He's going to attack the apostle Paul. We, we've seen that. And how he does that is by discrediting them in front of, do you know that your apostle was a jailbird? He has a record. Oh, <gasps> you follow a jailbird. Ooh, ooh. Oh, my goodness. Well, he did. He had one. He was in, he's, his stocks and bonds were not in the market. They were in other things. See? 
But yet, if we can get him the cost, they, the Corinthians go in and we like Apollos because he's eloquent in the scripture. He's eloquent in his speech. Paul was rude in his. Wasn't the nicest guy to look at. We like the, you like my three-piece suit? I got my, I got my vest fixed, so I'm wearing it. Rawr, you know? And it's under 100, so I'm wearing it, right? Why? Well, we like to, we have, a, we have someone who's, He's just eloquent and so smooth and dreamy. Oh, right? Paul wasn't that. By the way, rude in speech is not rude in that he was coarse or, or crude, but rather rudimentary. We're going to see it here and not with enticing words. So if he can get the messenger to be discredited in the eyes of the hearer, now what that does to the messenger then is that other D word, and that's discouragement. Because here's Timothy at Ephesus, the great church at Ephesus, probably the mega church, if you will, of Paul, if you need to do think about it like that, the place where Paul spent most of the time of his time. And yet they're leaving Paul. They're fleeing, they're all those in Asia have left me. They're forsaken me. They're gone off. And so here's Timothy seeing this. And what does that do to the preacher? What am I doing? What's going on? And, and there's discouragement. And discouragement says nothing but I quit and I'm done. And Paul reminds Timothy of the tears that he had. And he says, stir up the gift. Let's get going, man. Don't let the adversary win. So in Colossians now, here we are in this book of, of correction, corrective doctrine. He says in verse 1, For I would that ye knew, Colossians 2, 1, what great conflict I had for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You need to have all three. If you have an understanding of all three of those mysteries, the mystery of God, the mystery of the Father, and the mystery of Christ. You have that understanding of the mystery of God, how in Romans, uh, Revelation 10, and where he talks about all that has been spoken by the prophets uh, uh, and, and so forth in the Old Testament, and that revelation of the mystery of God and what he's doing in the prophetic scriptures. When you have an understanding of that, that that's Israel, not you. You're the church, the body of Christ. So you're going to let that go. So you'll never say, oh, look it around and see what's going on in the world. It's just fulfilling prophecy today. Don't you know? Look at Russia and blah, 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 and all this stuff. You would never say that because you understand what the prophetic scriptures are about. The mystery of the Father, Ephesians 1, verse number 10. He talks about that in the dispensation, verse 9, that the mystery of his will has been made known, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he's going to gather it all. The ultimate plan of the Father is to put it all back under the headship of his Son. Man, when you understand the big picture, man, life all of a sudden changes for you. You're not then the mystery of Christ, and that's the dispensation of grace, Ephesians 3, 1 and following there, where he talks about this dispensation, the mystery of Christ and what's going on today. Man, you get all of that, verse 3, in whom, in whom? <laughs> in Christ, yes, but really in all of the Godhead is what hid the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When you have that on board, 
Now watch why. And this I say, verse 4, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. I said all of verse 2 and 3 so that someone can't come along and beguile you with enticing words. Can't come along and move you. Lest any man should, a warning here, beware. You need to be paying attention to what you allow into your head, into your thinking, into your imaginations, into your mind. Beguile. Lest any man should beguile you. That's to deceive a person with guile. Think about that. To come along, guile is to cheat It's to carry you away. It's deceiving you by using enticing words that are going to carry you away from the truth. Come over to 2 Corinthians 11, a verse we've looked at. And we see he's using words. And he comes in and he says, hey, I want to cheat you out of what you have in Christ. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. He says, but I fear, but lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. Beguiled Eve. How did the adversary get Eve? Yea, hath God said. Did God really say that? And he began to use words to cause her. He, used, he, he, he says there in Genesis 3, he doesn't want you to know. See, that's a trigger word. What do you mean I can't know something? I can know it. And he goes, yeah, how about this thing about being a little God, God with a little g? Who was Adam and Eve? They were in Christ. They're in the big G. Adam, uh, the adversary got him to move over and out of the simplicity that's in Christ. Simplicity, simple. Do you know how simple our message is? And yet, what does the adversary do to it? Bombards it because, you know what, nothing in life, you guys have all heard, nothing in life is free, right? How can it be simple? You guys that believe in grace and right division, you just have easy believism. Really? How dare you say that the cross of Calvary was something that was easy? It was not easy. You sure enough don't have the guts to go do it. He did. But you know what the offense of the cross is? Simplicity. I did it, you can't do it. I did it, and you can't do it. What what does human nature say? Oh, yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Would you just shut up? You can't do it. Go ahead and try, and we'll see you later. See how it works out for you. The simplicity that's there. Paul says over there to the Ephesians that above that which we are, look, look, look at Ephesians 3. Just the simplicity, the enticing, the beguilement. Ephesians 3, verse number 20. We're going to get up here in just a minute. Ephesians 3, 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Do you realize that you would have never thought to ask God to send his son to be born of a virgin, to come and die at Calvary for your sin? You would have never said that. You would have never thought that. You know what you would have said? I can do it. That's what Adam and Eve said. 
I can do it. I'll do it. I can do it. What do you mean? Hear me roar. I am woman. Hear me roar, roar. You know? Really? How you doing with it? You can't do that. Simplicity. What does the adversary do? Comes along. Come back there to Colossians 2. Comes along. Actually, you're in Ephesians, right? Look at chapter 4. He comes along and he says, you know what? We're going to use some fancy words. We're going to use proper English because Rick doesn't use proper English sometimes. I make words up as I go. It's the greatest thing ever. See? Why? What's going to happen here? Why? Because so then all of a sudden, instead of focusing in on the doctrine, what are we focusing in on? How did it make me feel? What do you mean you sit with pews? Don't you know pews after an hour hurt? Yeah, that's why I only go 45 minutes sometimes. <laughs> right? Don't you know? What, what do you mean you have tables and chairs? And you know, don't you know? Well, but what is the adversary doing to you? He's enticing you. He's beguiling you. Ephesians 4, verse number 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Notice the slight of men. Again, he uses men to do this. Religion, tossed to and fro, every wind of doctrine. He tells and talks in Timothy about the enticing, the doctrines of devils and the seducing spirits. He's talking about teaching that doesn't acknowledge the truth of who you are in Christ. Where you're going to have the victory. Where you're going to have the full assurance, back there in Colossians 2, of the understanding of who you are. That design to come along and it's going to design to protect you in the moment. You don't have that anymore. Because you're over here chasing an idea, chasing a thought. Come on over to 1 Timothy 4. You're being seduced away, 1 Timothy 4. You're being beguiled, trickery. You've been tricked out of who you are in Christ. You're being moved away, and he's using religion and religious things to do. That's why when you look around and you... you I went to... Uh, a mega church. I had a program for some f f friends of our uh, family and stuff when we went, and I got to looking at their their seats. Now they have chairs. There's no Bibles in the seats. There's no hymn books. There's nothing like that. There's just a little piece of paper that says I visited. <laughs> now that's okay. So then I got to watching, and I'm like, so how do they teach? I know what they teach, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but how do they do it? And you know what it is? It's all on the overhead. And the verses go up there. Well, but do you know that when you type verses, you can sometimes type them wrong? You can make mistakes. And all of a sudden, now the verses aren't saying what the verses should say. And, there's, and, it, and it's not a vicious, malicious thing. It's just that little bit of a slight. And the next thing you know, you're like, wow, you're missing something. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times 
Some shall, and the, by the way, the latter times is today. It's, it's the church, the body of Christ, in, day, in Paul's day. The latter time, the last days of the church are here. It could happen in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when the Lord says, okay, we're done, let's go. And boom, the rapt, what we call the rapture, that day of redemption, the gathering together, takes place and happens. But meanwhile, while we're waiting for that, expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to, notice what they're doing. They're leaving the faith. They were in the faith. A seducing spirit, a doctrine of devil came up, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with the hot iron. Some, something came up, a doctrine, got them, and then what? Carried them away. And they departed. They seduced to draw away from the truth with the promise of a physical delight. They're seduced away. Come on back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says, you know what they're going to do? They're going to use enticing words to do that. And you need to be aware of it. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians 2. Notice the Apostle Paul here as he talked to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth were babes. They were carnal. They, were, they, were, they weren't getting the grace life going. They understood they're justified. Actually, in chapter 1, he calls them saints. They understood that. They just didn't have, understand how to take the Romans' foundational doctrine and move it into the details of life. So he says to him in verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Notice how Paul came to him, not with excellency of speech. In other words, he wasn't using the, the $100 words that, he, that people go to school to learn. Eschatology. Say what? You know? You hear that word? He didn't use that. He, he says, hey, look, guys, what I want you to know, what I want to know amongst you is that Jesus Christ and him, what? Crucified. That's what we're going to know. Now, what's interesting, just by the way, look in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto carnal, but as unto, I'm sorry, unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with what? Milk and not with meat. Now, go back to chapter 2, verse 2, and look at what he's called milk. Isn't that interesting? He says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He calls that milk. He says, I couldn't get off the milk with you. I couldn't take you to the next step in edification process. All you could handle was Christ crucified. That's by the, so 2-2 two, two is not a good statement on, by Paul about the Corinthians. Verse 3, 2-3. Three. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How many of us have heard people, preachers say, because I tell you, it is so. Now, they don't say it like that. That's Rick's, okay? 
What are they doing? Hey, they come over here with big words, big ideas, so that you'll do what? Stand in what the preacher says rather than what the book says. What does the book say? The book said that Christ died for you, was rose again, and was buried and rose again the third day, and that's a wonderful starting point, but there's a whole life for you to come and live now in Christ. And you're to get out of Romans 1 to 5 and get over in Romans 6, 7, and 8 in your identity and find out that you are dead to sin and you're alive unto God. You're dead to the law and alive unto the Son. You're dead to the flesh and alive unto the Spirit. You get that and you bring that into your thinking. You bring that into your understanding and you go and live in that. And you know what the, the, the adversary does? Just really, that's a lot of work. Just come and join us here over here, and we'll teach you how to. And they pull you right out of the study, and they use enticing words. Watch verse 6. How be it? We speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Now, that word perfect just simply means mature, okay? 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17 helps define that word perfect. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's verse 16. The scriptures, where are you going to get your profit from? Okay? Verse 17 starts with the word that, the purpose, the reason why the scripture is profitable. That the man of God may be perfect. Comma, so now we're going to get perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Maturity. How do I know what the good works are? How do I, what am I going to, I'm going to go to scripture. It's profitable. I'm going to get the doctrine, the correction, the reproof, the instruction. I'm going to get it all in there, and that's going to do what? Grow me up. He says, we want to speak wisdom among them that are a little more mature here, guys. Corinthians, you're carnal, you're babes, you're not getting it. All I can do is feed you the milk of Christ crucified. I can't take you to the next level of understanding yet. I won't violate the ministry of the Holy Spirit and drag you there. You're not ready yet. Verse 6, we speak among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. See, there's a wisdom of the world, isn't there? nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. See, there's a wisdom of the princes of the world, that course of the world, the wisdom. You see, the adversary has a wisdom plan. The Lord Jesus Christ has a wisdom plan. God, you didn't realize that when Lucifer fell, God could have easily just said, you're done and get out of here and start over. But it isn't about might. It's about wisdom. It's about understanding. It's about knowledge. Who's got the best wisdom plan? Who are you going to follow in the wisdom? Verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. Isn't that interesting? There's a set of wisdom that God made known. Genesis 1, verse 2, all the way to Acts chapter number 8. He made known a wisdom program for the earth. The prophets, the nation of Israel how he's going to reconcile the earth. He kept back, he kept a set of wisdom information secret, mystery, not revealed, not made known. 
which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Folks, come back to Colossians 2. If the adversary had known about the church, the body of Christ, and the message given to the apostle Paul, he would have never entered Judas. He would have never went and caused Christ to be crucified. Because with Paul and the revelation given to the Apostle Paul, the meaning of Calvary is what is revealed. The event has been prophesied since day one, Genesis chapter 3. It's been talked about and progressively the event has been revealed through the prophets. And you know what happens? Paul comes in and he says, you see all that? You see Christ crucified? Here's what it meant. You see that right over there? What do you do? Here's what it meant. And you know what it meant? It meant that all men could now be saved. Ooh, that would change the adversary's little perspective. Because what did the Old Testament say? Only Israel. Now it's an all. Colossians 2, verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, teaching that is not according to to the acknowledging, the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. What is going to happen? Beguile you with enticing words. Move you away from who you are in Christ. If you're moved away, back under the law program of Israel and the Old Testament, or you moved out into the book of the Revelation and in the future, you know what you didn't understand? You didn't understand the mystery of God, and you don't understand the mystery of Christ. And you need to get in there and understand that. Now watch verse 5, because watch what Paul's going to do. So what's the adversary's attack? He's going to use enticing words. He's going to come in in fair speeches and psalms describing David describing the Antichrist, and he says his speech is, is as smooth as butter. That's what it is. He's going to come in and he's going to use things. Oh, he's going to be scriptural, but not dispensational. He's going to say, yes, but boy, don't you know Christ said this over here? And did Christ say it? Sure he did, but he wasn't talking to you. He's talking to who? Israel, the little flock, the believing remnant, or the apostate nation. Matthew 10 is clear who the Lord was talking to. He wasn't talking to you as a Gentile. He's talking to that lost sheep of the house of Israel. And they're going to entice away. Now watch verse 5. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now watch what's going to happen. Paul says, Here's the attack. It's enticing words. And even though I might not be there with you, by the way, is Paul here today? Is Paul here today? Yeah. I'm going to be here with you in joy, in spirit, enjoying, and beholding your order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now think about that, beholding your order. Remember what he said in Titus 1 to Titus, go down there to Crete and set in 
order, the things that are wanting. You see, God is not the God of confusion. He's a God of order. He's not, the, he's not going to cause some things over here to be will he want. He's going to have them in order. Order and steadfast. So again, how does the adversary attack? Plan A, what's he attack? He's going to attack your order. He's going to attack the message. He's going to try to get you to leave the message. He's going to come along here and he's going to get, he's going to attack the order. The local assembly. Paul describes the local assembly and the members thereof like soldiers in the, in the military. And don't break ranks. You're doing your job. You're maintaining the message. You're maintaining the order of the local assembly. Because what's he going to do? The onslaught's there. Then steadfastness. There's the messenger. Look, look, look back at 1 Corinthians 15, the end of that chapter. Great chapter on resurrection. You see, he's going to attack your steadfastness, the messenger. That's you. Don't quit. Again, he's going to try to discredit you in front of others. He's going to try to come along and cause discouragement to come in your life. And he says, don't do that. Don't let it go. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye, notice, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Steadfast, unmovable, no matter what comes your way, there's no quit, there's no discouragement, there's no, I am done. You maintain. Come back to Colossians 2. So Paul says, here's the attack. In real time, there's going to be enticing words. And you guys all see this. If you listen to any modern-day Christianity information, I, I, read, I, I, I get sent to me for free, and I don't know how I got it, but Christianity Today, the big magazine, I never, I'm not paying for it. It just comes. All right? I read their latest magazine, and I was, I was so confused when I got done reading two articles that I had to go watch football to get my head cleared. Now, that's bad, okay? And it was using words. I literally, I had to go get the dictionary out on my phone to understand a couple words used in the art. That's enticing words. Because what happens when you have the big words? You look good. People pay attention. He goes, hey, I want to hear, though I'm absent from you, my goal is that your order and your steadfastness is there. Now watch verse 6, because watch him work this out for us. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. How are we going to walk in him? Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Notice where the victory is. What's the attack? Enticing words. Non-Pauline terminology. Okay? Let me use one on you. Don't raise your hand because you'll embarrass yourself. How many of you are born again? Good. Praise the Lord. You're not born again in the age of grace. You are saved. That's the Pauline term. But what does Christianity have you want to say? I'm born again. 
that belongs to Israel. That's John 3. That's Isaiah, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. That's not you. That's them. But, but, but man, doesn't it sound good to say I'm born again? Oh, yeah, it does. What do you mean, born again? Boy, man, you got all the bells go off in people's heads. But if you say I'm saved, that sounds boring. That sounds dry, dull. Saved from what? Glad you asked, right? But, man, born again. See, how that's just an enticing word. He goes, don't fall for that. Look, look over at 1 Corinthians 1. I, I just, these, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. So, again, if, if you struggle with born again in that term, we can talk about it. You can look into it and study it. it Paul's term is saved. See? Christianity, the enticing word, is born again. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.17. Here's another one for you quickly. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Wait a minute. Not to baptize. What did he just say? He just said he baptized some of them. Verse 14, 15, 16. What kind of baptism is he talking about there in 14, 15, 16? Water baptism, right? Now Paul says, I wasn't sent to do that. By the way, why was he water baptizing? That's the question. Because Romans 11, 11 says that he has a provoking ministry to the nation of Israel. And he's going to go in and provoke Israel by doing Israel's ministry and his acts ministry, okay? That's, a, again, a lot of doctrine there, and we can get into that at another time. But what I want you to see is the rest of that verse. Not with wisdom of, what? Words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So think about this. I've heard this growing up in the schools that I went to, attended to as a young man. If you get water baptized, it is an outward expression of the inward faith. That is wisdom of words. What does that verse just say those wisdom of words did? Made the cross of what? None effect. Because what are you ultimately saying? Christ couldn't do enough. I have to help him. So i got to come get water. You see how that, that's enticing. Because what does it do? It reaches into that old flesh and says, yes, help him. And Christ says, no, you dummy. I think about Sanford and Son. Hey, dummy, you know, Boom. You see, that's that enticing word. So Colossians 2, and there are others. I just, those two are clearly to see. Colossians 2, he says, Paul says, I want to, I want to behold your order and your steadfastness. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you ward off the attack of enticing words? Well, verse 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Well, come over to Ephesians 2. Get Ephesians 2 and get 2 Corinthians 5. The great study as and so. The great study marks on how to study. Notice he says there, As ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So what does Ephesians 2, 8, 9 say? For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. So how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. So walk ye in him. So how am I going to go walk in him? Living by faith. 
walking by 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, what does Christianity want you to do? Just think about it. Look at your circumstances. God's blessing you when you're on the up, and when you're on the down, he's teaching you a lesson. Really? Oh, I don't know, man. I'm over here, and it's pretty bad over here. So God must be getting me. And then you come over here, and man, oh, man, I'm living on. I was a real estate appraiser, and I had a guy, a client, nice guy, believer. He, was, he liked the, the, the term born again for political reasons, but he knew he was saved, and we had that conversation. And he said, Rick, God's blessing my business. Come back to Colossians 2. I said, how's God blessing your business? Up on, man, we're on the high you know what he? You know what business he was in? He was a realtor in 2007 and, and 6 and 7. Of course God's blessing him, man. The market's flying off the handle. In 2008, when it popped, I was near his office. I stopped in. The office was closed. I'm like, uh-oh. So I... I had his cell number, so I called him. I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, oh, I don't know, man. God's getting me. I go, how's God getting you? Oh, it's all falling apart. I go, no, dude, that's dummy. That's because this stuff over here is falling apart. But his Christianity had him what? Up in the moment, down. You know what Ephesians 1.3 says? You're blessed with all spiritual blessings. No matter what circumstances of life come along, you're good to go with God. So when the things in life are bad, it isn't God trying to get you. He's already got you. It's just life. And by the way, if you take care of Romans 8, verse 35 to the end of that chapter, you begin to realize that life's not your enemy. And that nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And that list of life that comes up against you in Romans 8, 35 and 36 there, God says, you know what, you who you are in Christ? Life isn't the enemy because you're good to go. Man, what a better way to live than but enticing words get you flowing. Back to Colossians 2. What happens here? Paul says, listen, you know how you're going to walk? As ye have received the Lord Jesus, sorry, Christ Jesus the Lord. How did I receive him? By faith. So what? Walk in him. How am I going to walk? By faith. I have to. Otherwise, I'm going to be duped by the enticing words. Now watch verse 7. Because here's how we walk in him. Here's how we come along. And here's the, you, you ever look for verses where you get the Christian life in a nutshell? Galatians 2.20 is one of them. Here's one, verse 7. Here's the Christian life in a nutshell. It honestly, it spells out what God's looking for for you in your life in your walk, and there's four things listed here. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding. Do you see the four? You ready? Get the four. Rooted. Built. Established. And abounding. You build these four pillars. Here's your, here's the whole of the grace life. Think about this. Rooted. 
when you think about being rooted, rooted, where? In him. Rooted and built up in him. It's being done to you. He's doing this to you. In the Greek here, and I'm not a Greek guy, you know that. I just don't, okay? But in the Greek here, it's the passive voice. It's being done to you. God roots you permanently into him, into Jesus Christ. We have a living oneness with his son. By the way, it's rooted. It's past tense. It's already done. Okay? Not doing it all the time. It's done. By the way, built up. That's the present tense right now that's going on right now. So what do we have? The past, done. We're rooted in Christ. We've been identified with him by one spirit. Are we all baptized into one body? Into him. We're there. We're identified. We're done. Then we're going to be built up. But when you think about that word root, think about landscaping. Linda took a pecan, and she caused it somehow through, well, we, we don't have green thumbs in our house, but anyway, the pecan rooted, sprouted, and now I got a little tree in a pot. And I'm talking to some, uh, the, the Morgans, and they're like, you got to get it out of the pot or else the tap root will get in trouble. And I'm like, all right, when do we do that? And he gave me all, you know, listen. See, what's the life of the tree? It's where? In that root. Where's our life? It's in him. Our life is hit in chapter 3. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear. See, who's our life? He is. Galatians 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet what? Not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, right here, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who, gave him, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why that verse hangs on the back wall. One, to remind me, but two, to remind you. Because what's the... Rooted. Our life, the foundation of the Christian life is being rooted in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. Colossians 2. Look at verse 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. You're not complete in the, the luggage kid, you're complete in the CEO, the head guy. So the hall of it, the rooted, you're rooted in him. Built, think about this, built, come over to Ephesians 3, built. That's a present tense. At the moment of salvation, we are rooted in Christ. Okay? We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When? Act justification. But then built, that's a daily thing. That's an ongoing thing. We're going to move, and we're going to learn, and we're going to grow. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 17. We've got to hurry here. Verse 16, that he would, Paul, one of Paul's prayers here listed for us. So that, by the way, five of Paul's prayers are listed. He prayed all the time. 
but they're listed so that you see how a mature believer prays for things and grows. And what is he praying? That Christ, verse 17, may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. See, there they are again, the formula. May be able to comprehend with all saints. Now, stop there. What does it mean to comprehend something? Not just to know it, but to understand it. You guys ever watch rugby? I don't comprehend that. I don't even understand it. How about football? Now we got to ask, which football? Soccer or, you know, NFL? College, okay? But those you can do what? You can understand them. You can comprehend them. Comprehend. What are we comprehending? What is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Think about that, folks. You are built up. The present reality, what is God doing in your life right now? He's building up. Come over to Acts 20. Acts 20, just for the term, the, not, the terminology here, the language What is he building into you? The breadth, the length, the depth, and the height of what he's doing. Don't ever let anybody ever tell you you can't know something in Scripture because you can. How do I know that? Ephesians 3 just told me I am able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. Now, in coming to understand that, I might have to adjust my thinking to the new revelation, or I'm just bringing on new stuff and it's all glory, see? But you can know this. This isn't something that sits in an ivory tower at Oxford or Cambridge somewhere. It sits right down in the meat and potatoes of your daily life. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. I just want you to see what Paul says here. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, The word of his grace, that's what we're talking about, the grace life, the grace doctrine, which is able to build you up. Look at that. What's going to build them up? Not over here in fancy speeches and all this stuff and do, 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 but what builds them up? The word of his grace. In Galatians 4, he says that Christ may be formed in you. Come back to Colossians. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Do you know what it is to dwell? To dwell is to be at home. I come into my dwelling, my home. When I come into your house, I don't take my shoes off and my clothes off and my clothes off and change into, into something more comfortable in your home. In my home, I do that. Why? I dwell there. I'm visiting your home. But I dwell. if the Lord is going to dwell in your hearts by faith, Ephesians 3, he's got to be what? At home. Colossians 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Interesting what's to dwell there. What's to be at home? Come back to chapter 2. The word of Christ is. The word of his grace. The word communicated to the Apostle Paul communicated to you and I. 
Then he said, so built up. It's ongoing. Then he says, established as ye have been taught. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, and established in the faith as ye have been taught. Now think about in the faith. It doesn't say established in faith. Okay? It says established in the faith. The word communicated to the apostle Paul. Then given to you and I. Come over to, uh, well, shoot, for time. Look down at verse, well, man. Don't, yeah, don't call Linda. Look over at 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, just one verse. You think about the faith. It isn't in faith. Established in the faith. The, the faith, that is the information given to the Apostle Paul, then given to you and I. And Paul says, I want this truth to take root in your life, to stabilize you. Otherwise, you're going to fall away. If you look there, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, Paul at his end says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Well, what faith was that? Well, he says in Galatians, in the Jews' religion, I was, a big, I was a bigwig. But in Philippians, he says, all of that in the Jews' religion that I was a bigwig, and I've counted it but loss. I've counted it but dung. Just get it out. It's waste. Flush it. Flush it. Get it out of there that I may win Christ. So he's not talking about keeping the faith of his Jewish upbringing. He's talking about keeping the faith, the, the word revealed to Paul by the risen, ascended, and seated on high, far above all heavenly places, <laughs> Lord Jesus Christ. So the faith is the specific doctrine given to the Paul. And Paul says, I want you to be established in that. I want you built up in it. I want it taking root in your life. Because otherwise, what's going to happen? He's going to come along, and he's going to go, boom. And you're going to go, Wah! and run. And I don't want you to go, Wah! and run. I want you to say, I want you to put on the whole armor of God. See, that's what we're talking about here. Now go back to Colossians 2 because we're over time and we got one more to go real quick. Abounding. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Real quick. As ye have been, what? Taught. You notice you, this is, requires to be taught. You got the Holy Spirit. He's the great teacher. But then you have Paul, he's the great, he's the due time testifier. But then you got pastors and teachers who are doing, whose job is, 1 Corinthians 14, to edify, preach, move out the doctrine, get it out there. So it isn't something where you're going to go sit over in the closet, turn the light out and hope it all seeps in. That's why 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study. Why? i got to study this to show thyself approved unto God. A workman, oh, it's going to be work, that needeth not to be ashamed. See, there's study here. But abounding, let's get that real quick here. Abounding with thanksgiving. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. When you do this verse, when you live the way, when you live this way, you can't be anything but 
thankful. When you've jettisoned the religious speak, the enticing words, when you've let all that go and you just come and you say, you know what, here's who I am in Christ and I'm just going to let it be that. Simple. The simplicity. The natural response is thanksgiving. Because it's not I, but Christ. Think about abounding. Have you ever taken a soda bottle and shook it up and then popped the top? And you have soda doing what? Abounding out all over, a busting out. What's coming out? What's to come out naturally? Well, if it's a can of Coke, what's coming out? Pepsi? No, Coca-Cola's coming out. So what should be coming out? When your life is shaken up, when the adversary is pounding on your front door, using enticing words, we'll get into verse 8 next time, and the spoiling there, and the philosophy, when he's attacking, what is abounding out of you? What's coming out of you? It better be Christ and who you are in Christ. When your life is shaken up and we pop our top, who should come out is Christ. And that drives then the thanksgiving, which is the proper response to the grace of God. See, the proper response to God's grace is thank you. Because I couldn't do it, and I'm thankful that you did do it. So what Paul is going to get at here, under attack number one, if you will, in real time, is you need to relax and be who you are in Christ. You need to relax and learn who you are in Christ. Allow that to take root in your life. Allow that to build you up. Build up who God made you in Christ. And turn and say, thank you. And when you're all shook up and life throws its way, you don't pop a top of something that you're not. You come over here and you say, here's who I am. And you know what happens? Naturally, what comes out of you is who you are. You understand that because sometimes we operate in that little dude called the flesh, don't we? We're sitting in McDonald's this morning, and for some reason, we were going slow. My son says, Dad, we've only been here five minutes. It was, felt like 20. And you know what was happening? Patience is a virtue. <clears throat> Impatience was my virtue. What? So what do you do? Time out. Hold on. Let's get, calm down. All right, and let's go here. And you what, adjust your thinking. Folks, the exhortation here is for us to let the truth take root in our life, let it stabilize us, and let it protect us. Because in verse 8, the attack is about to intensify. Verse 4 it's just an intro. Here comes verse 8, and it's on like Donkey Kong. It is boom. It's on. And he's going to come at you with philosophy and traditions of men and the rudiments of the world, and it's a three-prong attack, and the next thing you know, you're letting the world system run your life rather than who you are in Christ. And he says, hey, before I told you, let's be rooted built up, established. By the way, it's not established. It's established, stable, stabilized. Abounding therein with thanksgiving. 
The biggest difference between you and the heathen, Romans 1 says, is the heathen were not thankful. And we need to be thankful. That's why Thanksgiving is an everyday, it's an everyday celebration, not just once a year in, the, in November. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions here, for the look into it, the considering of it. And, Lord, I just pray for the folks that as we go day by day and when things do come up, that we would respond appropriately as to who we are in your Son. And we'll give you the honor and the praise and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen.